Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. October 31st, 1904, a young preacher named Evan Roberts began a series of meetings that soon exploded throughout the Welsh countryside and are now referred to as the Welsh Revival. Not only were scores, hundreds saved, swept into the kingdom, the Welsh Revival had a profound impact on uh, the society as a whole. Here's, here's a report from uh, Robert Slayarden's book, God's Generals, talking about uh, the Welsh Revival. It says this, political meetings were canceled. Soccer matches had neither players on the field nor fans in the stands. Theaters closed down due to low attendance. Gambling and alcohol businesses lost their trade. Doctrinal barriers came tumbling down as Christians from all denominations worshipped together in the Spirit's move. Even some of the reporters that came to report were converted at the meetings. And as revival spread without great, with great fervor throughout Wales, soon bars and movie houses were closed. Former prostitutes started holding Bible studies. People began to pay their long-standing debts. And those who once selfishly wasted their money on alcohol suddenly became a great joy and support to their families. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly inspiring. That's what it looks like when God is on the move in a community. Sign me up. I want to see that, right? You know, last week we celebrated uh, our our, uh, succession and the next generation of our church. And one of the things that God has been talking to us about as we head into this next generation is that our task is to focus on discipling in three areas. Discipling the local church family, discipling the communities that we live in, and discipling the world that extends out from here. What we want to spend some time doing and talking about in, in this series is that second one. That's what a discipled community begins to look like. Not just a little bit of change, massively transformed. And each and every one of us, you know, we, we spend the overwhelming majority of our days in a community that we live. You know, whether it's here in Champaign County, if it's in Moultrie County down in Sullivan, or even one of the counties around, we, we wake up and we go to bed in the same community. We work every day, maybe in the same, maybe in a different community, but we're invested there. We, we talk to our neighbors, we buy our groceries, we may attend school or any other number of activities. All of it happens on the backdrop of a community. What does it look like to be a Christian, to be a believer? And how is our faith supposed to engage with our communities? That's what we're going to talk about today and through the rest of our series as we explore the fact that God is the God of our city. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we gather here as your body uh, to hear you speak. 
And, and we just say from the very beginning, you are the God of our city. Whichever city we live in, you are the God of our city. And God, we want to grow. We want to get better, Lord, at having our faith integrated with the community that we live in. And so, God, I just ask, would you open our eyes today? Would you show us uh, what it looks like that you are the God of our city and what it looks like to live as a believer in a place? God, come, open our eyes Give us your faith. Give us your heart. We are listening, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting this series building off the previous two. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, we concluded a series, Hope Rising, where we were looking at the fact that regardless of whether we're in good circumstances or bad, God is with us and God is our hope. And as hope begins to rise in our lives, we find that we have hope that we want to begin to give away. <laughs> Where do we give it away to? <laughs> the series right after or right before that was called Kingdom Collision, and that one might feel a little ways back at this point. And so if you want a deep review, you can uh, always revisit on the website, of course. But succinctly, the point was this. The Bible portrays our world as a natural plus spiritual world. And there's a whole interesting set of spiritual characters that are talked about in the Bible. Some of them are for God and some of them are opposed to God. Jesus has come. He has conquered. He has been victorious over the spiritual rebels. But our world now lives in a war of worship. And Jesus sends us, the church, to go displace the influence of the spiritual rebels and introduce our nations to his spiritual influence. Now, that all sounds inspiring, but it might also sound overwhelming. I mean, nations? I mean, uh, are you serious? Like, what do I do about that? Well, I have good news. We don't have to jump straight to nations, because the starting point for discipling the, the world is discipling the communities that we live in. Until we're faithful with our cities, we have no business trying to disciple the nation anyway. And so what we're going to do today and through the rest of our series is we're going to try and put some teeth on that. What does it look like to actually partner with God to disciple a community? Now, um, as we begin to to unpack this, the starting point that I want to talk about is I want to talk about this. You you may or may not have um, observed this. I didn't, actually, until I began to dig through this Uh, material for this series, and I was shocked at how frequently God talks about cities in the Bible. I tend to just like, just read right over that. I'm thinking about people, you know, like saved people, you know, but God is very invested in cities. In fact, this whole story, the whole journey of faith kicks off with this guy called Abraham. God calls Abraham, he leaves his family, goes out to to the promised land, and he's like the father of faith. Eventually his offspring become, um, you know, the Israelite people, Jesus comes from them, you know, Christians, all of that, it all goes back to Abraham. And in Hebrews 11, it talks about why Abraham left to go to the promised land. God calls him. Well, what was he thinking? It says in Hebrews 11, 9, and 10, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose designer and builder is God. Abraham left his home and went to live in the promised land. Why? Because he was looking for a city that God built. He's like, there, God wants to have a city that he has designed, that he has built. And he's like, I want to live there. So he strikes out to try and find this city. And this is the beginning of God's heart for cities as a thread that goes right through the scriptures. If you've spent any time reading the Bible, as I list some of these, you'll notice these aren't just like one-time stories. God actually speaks in the symbols of cities often. If I say Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to mind? Something immediately, probably immorality or something like that, right? What about Nineveh? When I say Nineveh, you might immediately register lost people, God's heart for the lost. What about Jericho? What about Bethlehem? What about Jerusalem? See, each of these are not just physical places. They become symbols because God uses them as language to speak. God has a heart for cities. In fact, that last one, Jerusalem, Jesus himself says in Luke 13, as he's coming to Jerusalem, he's like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have loved to gather you under my wings. I would have loved to, to pasture you. I would have loved to, to lead you into life. But you were not willing. Jesus expressing God's heart for a city. And in fact, the entirety of the, the kingdom collision that's portrayed in the Bible is often used with the symbols of the cities, Jerusalem and Babylon. They kind of depict the spiritual collision, not just as natural cities, but as Jerusalem being the city of the Lord and Babylon being the city of the great spiritual rebel, Satan himself. It's interesting to me that God identifies cities and spiritual beings so closely that he'll actually use one to refer to the other. You see, because of all of that, if we're really here to uh, disciple the nations and displace the spiritual beings, there's no way that we can do that unless we're tracking with God's heart for cities. I don't know about you, but when I was first uh, moved to this community, I didn't have like a massive heart for Champaign-Urbana. I came here for what I presumed were natural reasons. I came here because, you know, I was attending graduate school. So it'd be hard to live anywhere else if you're going to graduate school at U of I. And so I view my relationship to this city as primarily a natural thing. And you might do the same. Maybe it's not you came here for school, you know, or the same in Sullivan. Maybe you were born here. Maybe um, you moved here for your job or, or whatever, whatever the reason is. We tend to see our relationship with our cities through the lens of natural factors. But God has something bigger in mind for us being in the community that we live in. In Isaiah 61, it's a really interesting passage. Um, the first portion of it is the portion that Jesus quotes when he's talking about his ministry. You'll recognize it. But then as the passage continues, it not only unpacks Jesus' ministry, it talks about the results of his ministry. 
which I think is very interesting. Uh, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This probably sounds familiar. Jesus' messianic uh, mission statement, you might say. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, a city, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This is Jesus' ministry, but what's the result of Jesus' ministry? That they, the people Jesus ministers to, may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Indeed, we're made a a new creation, a righteous creation because of Jesus' ministry to us. But what do we then go do? They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. What are the people that Jesus saves immediately get busy doing, working on their communities, rebuilding their cities. That's what Jesus calls you and I to. And if we just see ourselves as like, I'm just here because I happen to somehow wind up in this community, then we're going to miss the fact that God loves the place that we live. And God has us in the place that we live on purpose. He's put us here so we can discover his heart for our community. You know, it's really easy to to just nitpick on our cities. Like, I get it. There's things that are not perfect here. But if my posture is one of critiquing the community... I am never going to be part of God's design for the community. I'm disagreeing with God's love for the city that I live in. The starting point for discipling our communities, for for this assignment that we see right here, is connecting with God's heart for our city. God loves the city that you live in. Do you? Do you know his heart. Do you know his design? In um, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, 11 is like one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for evil, right? You, you may have heard that. Well, the verses before that give a bit of context because this, this uh, chapter is written to the Israelites as they're in exile in Babylon. They're in a city they don't want to be in. And what does God say to them? Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You want to be in this city? You're in the other one. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In, in the, the very city that is actually like described as the enemy of God in the Bible, when the Israelites find themselves there, what is the Lord telling them? Pray for the good of your city. Don't take this antagonistic posture. Don't say, well, this city's terrible and I don't like this place and look at the weather and look at the school system problems and why can't they keep the roads not having potholes? Right? We could do all that. But as long as we're in that place, we're posturing ourselves against God's heart for our community. What if we started praying for its welfare? What if we started asking God, what does the city that I live in look like in your heart? When we're connected to God's heart for our city, then we can be part of a better future. And so if we want to be part of a future, there's two things. Connection, number one, to God's heart for our city. But number two, connection to one another. So this, is, this is important. We don't change the city by ourselves. It's not, what we're not talking about here is community improvement. Jesus does not just call believers to make our city a better place. It ought to be becoming a better place. But our assignment is actually to, to displace the spiritual powers that are wrecking our city. It's not to just change administration and, and fix logistics. All of that is good and, and needs to be done. But it's a spiritual battle that we're supposed to, to be uh, caught up in for our cities. And it is only collectively that we embody Christ, the anointed one who can displace those spiritual powers. See, you and I can't do it on our own. Individuals don't embody Christ. Collectively, we embody Christ. And so if you're not connected, you are not connected to the source of authority that can actually displace these. Now, I like visuals, and so I, I prepared a few people with a kind of visual metaphor. Can you guys come on up here? Okay, I um, wanted to, to depict this. And so what we're doing here is a visual of the kind of, I'm going to scoot this to the side here, open the cameras up, of the kind of spiritual effect that we want to have. And so um, we're going we're gonna to have a, a, couple, a couple of, uh, of lines here. And this first one, this is our community. This is, this is, you know, our neighborhoods and our jobs and our whatever. And you'll notice it's a bunch of people, but it's not a bunch of people separate from one another. It's a bunch of people connected to one another. And when we're talking about, like, all of the spiritual powers and all of that, what we have to realize is they don't have influence just on like one person. Sorry, Tim. They have influence on the whole system. So if you want to displace them, you have to move the whole thing. You're not targeting any single individual. But what we can sometimes do, John, why don't you come on over here? What we can sometimes do is we can go, okay, well, I know the call. The call is to disciple the city. The call is to, you know, we're going to change the world with Jesus. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. And so what we do is we go, all right, get excited. You, you know, Jesus lives in you. And we pray for him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Blah, 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 blah. We get him empowered. And we go, now go change the city. And he runs off. And he doesn't have a prayer. 
Why? It's a leverage issue. It's not that he's not inspired, and it's not that he's not what he's supposed to do. It's that as an individual, he doesn't have what it takes to do the whole thing. It's a collective thing. And so here, come on, let's, let's get the rest of, rest of the thing here. You see, what God wants to do is he wants to change our communities, which are like a system, a collection of people. He wants to change them with another group of people called the church that are all connected to one another and has Jesus as the spiritual power influencing all of them. And when they're all connected together and moving together as one, the leverage changes. Go for it, guys. <laughs> it's no problem to push all of them and shift the city, but they can only do it in connection. Thank you, guys. That's perfect, right? <clears throat> Red Rover, Red Rovers. Send Mike Yoder right over, right? The point is this. We were never meant to do this alone. It's indeed only in connection that we can do it. And so here's my very practical action step. You know, when we talk about discipling our, our cities, even that can sound, you know, gigantic. How on earth do I do it? Well, just here's one of the two things to focus on. Which of those two could use an upgrade right now? Your connection to God's heart for the city or your connection to the body? Here, your church family. Because if either of those two are missing, then you're not going to be making progress towards the solution. And what I find is that uh, people tend to, like one of them is strong and the other is a little more counterintuitive. And so whichever of those could use a bit of a connection upgrade, I just want to encourage you, have a conversation with God this week. Okay, God, how can I connect better to your heart for this city? Or how can I connect better to uh, your, this body so that together we can do this thing. God is the God of our city. He has beautiful things in mind for the city that you live in, I promise. And he has written us, the body of Christ, into the destiny for our cities. We connect with his heart. We connect with one another and this is a task that we can do. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. And I thank you that you indeed are Lord and you indeed are King. God, you're, you're, you're telling us to pour into this. I have the sense you want to upgrade us, Lord, in this area, in, in discipling our cities. God, we need to follow you through this. Would you give us what we need? Would you show us how it's done? Would you connect us with your heart? Would you connect us with one another? Would you lead and guide us, God? Because we want to be those people, God, that, that raise up the ruins, God, that rebuild the torn down communities. That's what your ministry to us is supposed to result in. We want to see that. We say yes, Jesus. Guide each and every single one of us to our next step in this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you may have noticed that the message was a little bit shorter than usual. It can happen even for me, yeah? Um, and that's because we wanted to conclude today, and indeed we're going to conclude our messages in this series, hearing from people in the community 
that are dealing with the, the real things that our community is facing and what it looks like to be meaningfully involved. And so this is a summary video. It's about seven minutes long. It's a summary video. I had the opportunity to sit down with the Urbana mayor and have a conversation with her about what's good and what's challenging about our community and what it looks like for us to be part of a better future. And so let's go ahead and roll the clip. Hello, friends, and I'm excited because I have had the opportunity to sit down with our Urbana mayor, Diane Marlin. Um, she's volunteered uh, an hour of her time to come and share with us about what's happening in our community, the real situations that we're facing, um, the beautiful things about Urbana, the problems our community is facing, and what it looks like to be meaningfully involved with making a better future. And so, Mayor Marlin, first I just want to say thank you for joining. I know your time is uh, very busy. You're, you've got a lot of things you're juggling, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> um, we just wanted to start with, um, tell me about how you came to Urbana. Have you lived here for a long time, or what's that story? Yes, I've lived here for a long time. I came here as a student, and I was one of the many thousands of people, I think, who, who uh, came to Urbana-Champaign for an education, and I was lucky enough to find a life here. Have you always thought that your life would be aimed towards politics? No, I mean, if you had asked me 15 years ago if I'd be sitting in this seat today as mayor of Urbana, I, I would have said, I would have thought you were crazy. I mean, that was not really? part of my grand scheme. I, I, my path in this community brought me to this job. Wow. So my story is I was a 19-year-old student. I came from, uh, grew up on a farm, came from a small town. So this was the big city, and I was lost in this huge university. But I joined Students for Environmental Concerns as a sophomore. Okay. And um, one of the environmental issues back back in the 70s, which is when I arrived, was uh, fighting to save Allerton Park from being flooded mm. by a dam that was planned on the Sangamon River. So through that, I joined the committee on Allerton Park. I met many people in the community, you know, faculty, staff, community members. Um, I met my future husband, and in that process, I discovered that there was a wonderful community outside the, you know, boundaries of the campus. Mm. And that was my link to the greater community and um, one thing led to another and here I am 40 some years later. So speaking of this community and, and making it better, what are some of the things that you just feel are really beautiful about this community? Like what makes uh, our, our community unique and special and what, what lights your eyes up when you see it? What I love about Urbana, it's um, small enough to have that that small town feel. You know your neighbors, you you know, you go to the grocery store, you, you know see people, you go to the farmer's market, you run into folks you know. Mm. Um, but because of the presence of the University of Illinois, it has a global reach and you have so many of the benefits of a much larger community. People have called it, you know, a micro-urban community. But what I love is the, um, is the freshness that each new year brings when we have so many new students come. I love the diversity of the community. Nearly 20% of our population was born in a different country. We have neighborhood schools, we're um, 
walkable and bikeable. We have many, many amenities that you'd find in a much larger city without the traffic or the expense. And um, it's just a great place to raise a family. And there's a lot of advantages here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, each of those things you say, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, it is like that. Yeah. Oh, it is like that. And I mean, sometimes you have to just stop and look around and say, wow, look what we have. Yeah. Look what yeah. we have and celebrate what we have. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, you had mentioned um, the the church, you know, partnering with a specific school. I think sometimes, if you'll just allow me to be frank, is things like separation in church and state, like we kind of don't know how to process that. So we feel nervous about things like that sometimes. And I would just love to hear your perspective on like, is that a win? Is that a good thing? You know, you, you celebrate that. You brought that up. I assume you're for that. <laughs> Just I am for that. Me. I mean, supporting your local institutions, your park districts, your school districts, um, and partnering with, with uh, private agencies, organizations, and the city, I think is critical. I know I've come um, to events here. You have I think one of the most amazing event mm. venues in the community and um, it could be used in many different ways. I would love to hear, you know, your perspective as mayor just on the church's level of involvement with the problems in the community. Um, you know, our church, maybe just the church in, in Urbana, do we do enough there? Honestly, are we too self-focused? Is there more that we could be bringing to the table? And if so, would that be valued? <laughs> I think it would be valued. I mean, I know you um, have your um, food pantry, which is a very valuable service, especially in this neighborhood where you would have a number of people in need and the nearest grocery store is a long way away. Mm. Um, so that's a valuable need. I know you work individually with um, families through your Hope Center, and that's a good start. Mm. Um, and and continuing in you know in that vein, I would um, love to explore ways that we could partner to um, amplify the yeah. message and amplify the need and utilize this yeah. this facility. So just to to kind of bring bring this whole thing full circle, I think what I'm hearing you say is we both as individuals can see the needs in front of us, the needs of. Uh, the education, the needs of the um, uh, housing and things like that. We can, we can act to meet those needs and that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of collectively as a church family can also partner. Mm -hmm. um, and both of those are, in your opinion, critical for helping make Urbana a better place. Well, right. Yes. I, we can't do it alone. Everyone is facing challenges as far as resources um, and we've got some huge challenges ahead of us and yeah. and we are stronger when we work together and yeah. and I appreciate this opportunity because um, there because we can build a stronger partnership well thank you again for your time and just you on much. behalf of our church family I just want to say thank you for uh, your leadership and your service and all the time and energy and blood and sweat and tears <laughs> that you're putting into making our community well a I place. have to say this is the best job I've ever had Mm. And I never, I, you know, that's, it, it's the best job I've ever had. And it's just, um, and I, I just feel privileged to, to have this opportunity. Awesome. And I look forward to partnering. Um, we've got...
That was kind of a highlights reel. The whole interview is about a half hour, and uh, we'll, we'll put that out on social media and so forth this week. And so if you're interested in catching the whole thing, uh, that would be, that'd be you know, something you'd be welcome to do. Um, but the point, the main takeaway, I think, that I want to draw out of that as we conclude our message and as we begin to head into worship is, is simply this. Not only is it God's heart for the church to be involved in making a better community, it's actually our mayors too. Like our community is asking for us to get involved. It's asking for our help. It recognizes that we have something beautiful to bring to the table. And so I just want to invite you into this journey. I, I don't know exactly where it goes or what it looks like, but I know this is one of those moments where God is saying, we're going to head that way. And we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> we'll figure it out. He'll figure, he knows. But we'll figure it out as we go. And I want to invite you, I want to invite us as a family to press into that and to see Jesus do some new and amazing things. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.